0: welcome to the no guts no galaxy Mex devs and beer podcast number 16 my name is phil and i'm your host today is november 5th 2014 and i'm joined by darren aka bombadil hey
1: hey how you doing i'm excited we haven't had a Mex devs and beer in a very long time
0: you know it's funny because last time we had a Mex devs and beer we had the exact same guest which goes <laughs> to show you how long it's been Conspiracy. All right. Today's guest, we have Paul, the lead designer for macro Online. What's going on, Paul? How are you?
2: I'm um, doing okay. And thanks for having me. Sorry, i am being a little bit busy for
1: being hanging around with you guys, but hey, let's get this one going. Are you going to multitask? Are you going to be creating the game on one hand and listening to us on the other or whatever? I'm um, fixing that code with one hand. I am fixing the host state rewind on the other. I am doing community
0: warfare with my feet. Nice. He says feet, but I know what he really means. He has an it right. arm. It's, it's an, an octopus. Big foot. It's a big foot. <laughs> is that what it is? All right. Hey, uh, so we want to ask you some questions. Got a lot of topics here. Uh, a lot of people want to pick your brain, and we figured it would be a great time to do it. And again, appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this. But let's go dive in here because uh, the, the first topic we have here is game modes. Now, one of the things that pops up in my mind when we talk about game modes is assault. And specifically, turrets affecting gameplay. You know, uh, it affects the movement on particular maps of uh, teams. It affects the position. An example would be like Forest Colony, right? The turrets on Forest Colony basically make it so when you go midway, you can't go any further or you should start getting pelted by LRMs. And then on River City, uh, pretty much it turns into a Citadel fight because, again, you can't go left or right of the Citadel without you know LRMs affecting. So I guess my question is, have you guys thought about putting different turrets for different size maps? Well, the whole thing about the turret system is that they were an experimental
2: technology to begin with. Um, we decided to put them into a game mode for assault just to see how they would play out, how they make defending a base, how they make attacking a base different than your standard just run and gun. Um. One of the things about the turrets is that they were set up in a way that every single map has that turret built into it. So if we want to make an adjustment to a specific turret, we have to go into that map and make the adjustment there. We can't make a global change to the turrets. However, with Community Warfare coming along and uh, the illustrious Mr. Brian Windover working, reworking the code for turrets, um, Let me just go back a little bit. There was a time when we were talking about uh, Merc units being able to upgrade turrets on planets that they have taken over. And this is still something we're working towards. And this is also part of how the turrets are being loaded out, how they're being built. And the idea of customizing turrets allows us to actually adjust the in-game turrets for game modes such as Assault. So, yes, there will be different kinds of turrets coming in. We do want to get rid of the long range missiles on the uh, smaller maps so you can approach a turret a lot easier. Um, The big thing we're getting feedback from in terms of data collecting was how long it takes to take a turret out. How much damage are those things putting out? And we do understand that there's that times where (laughs) a turret can be quite devastating to a team. So, yeah, it's something we're looking into and it's something that we're always going to be playing with in the future.
0: You know, I know I've heard a lot of feedback of when turrets were coming out, I remember we were all excited. You're like, oh, yeah, that immersion factor and stuff like that would be really cool having an AI element. Um, But at the time when they did come out, and this is something uh, I guess that gets brought up a lot of times, is it used to be where lights could go and, you know, take out the caps and they didn't really have to worry. But as soon as, you know, assault mode came in with turrets, it sort of negated that role if you will of like capping um on assault and they pretty much had to either sit back or try to go one-on-one i mean you said it was sort of an experiment are you happy with the results and if so or if not why
2: uh i wouldn't say happy
0: i would say they work
2: as intended however at the same time is that they are like like we're basically getting to the raw point is that they're overpowered and they are Uh, One of the things that makes them overpowered is the fact that they don't take any sort of heat penalties at all. Like, when firing a laser, they take zero heat, right? So this is something that we have to incorporate. Uh, When it comes to LRMs, they should have an ammunition limit. So basically, they'll be more effective at the start of a match than towards the end of a match. Um, As far as roles in terms of, like, uh, light mech being able to do their job properly, that's a matter of setting the hit points and there's one time when we had the hit points set up to 150 damage which is quite a bit of damage uh russ had does wrestle back and forth and uh we pulled that down to i believe it's set to 100 right now if not it should be around 100. um we have the intention of bringing that even lower and the thing about bringing power uh, sorry hit points lower is that we will increase its firepower So this comes into the whole balancing that's going to be coming with Community Warfare as well.
1: All right, moving on to Conquest mode. Are you happy with where Conquest is now? And are there any other things that can be done to continue to develop Conquest further? You know, Conquest is a funny mode because
2: we actually put it into the game to have somewhat of a backstory behind why you would be doing something on a map. Like, not just anything, but just some sort of concerted effort for a team to focus on trying to gather all these resources and the team with the most resources at the end of the match are going to be the winners. Now what's happened is that obviously it's devolved a little bit into basically lights running around trying to cap and the rest of the team's just smashing into each other just trying to kill the other team off completely. This isn't ideal um, it's something that we are looking into we have been talking about recently. Um, it's still up for investigation. Whether or not we keep it in the game that's something that's even up for debate like we will make that cut if we have to but at the same time is that we don't want to make a cut too soon and just leave you with just two of two game nodes out there while we try to bring up a third one. So we're going to be investigating more and more as we start basically getting over this giant hurdle of community warfare.
0: With conquest mode, um, I've seen suggestions out there of, you know, it becomes very stagnant, obviously, is what you mentioned it is the death balling basically occurs, right is before. And this just happened recently, where you guys up the tick mark to be able to capture cat points. But a lot of people basically say, "What's what's the point? It, it doesn't still doesn't matter on a lot of the maps because they're so small and you have twelve max and stuff." Have have you guys considered? And this is an idea I've heard of, you know, doing something dynamic where the caps don't really equate to just necessarily uh, just losing the match, but some type of dynamic event where you cap and you get turrets at those locations or you cap that, that way. Again, it forces something more than deathballing, uh, you know, just you know. Or, requires people to actually go to these locations. I mean, have, have you thought about that?
2: Yeah, and we've also thought about plans of going down the reward route as well, like make it worth your while to cap those points and make it worth while to counter cap points, right? Uh, we just got to make sure that we're not giving away 10 million C-bills per match, but at the same time, like there's got to be some sort of incentive for every action that we want you guys to be doing in a match. And right now, I don't think that incentive is there. Right, So, like I said, we are investigating it and seeing what we can do with it. That is a good idea, too, though, about popping up a turret in that cap location. But I'm not sure
1: if we can pull that off yet. Yeah, I like that idea as well. That would be pretty interesting.
0: Well, you know, also, too, is it'd be interesting if uh, for every cap point you do, and you guys have mentioned AI and stuff, but, um, you know, possibly every cap time you cap, it's not only... You know, point wise, I guess, but maybe reinforcements, whether that's tanks or infantry or uh, turrets or something to where dynamically it actually incentivizes uh, capping. Obviously, you know, it's just ideas that uh, we've read in the community and of course, just making it more enjoyable. Um, and, you know, you guys have talked about uh, the whole sort of rush mode, which I think is sort of what invasion. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, but um, definitely I look forward to the game modes getting a little bit of love and, you know, speaking of which skirmish, I think this is, uh, I think a lot of people enjoy skirmish because they don't like conquest, right. Or they don't like assault and it just becomes just basically we kill you and you kill us or, you know, and that pretty much goes to it. But unfortunately this goes back to the whole death bowling. And, and death bowling, I guess is just sort of a normal player behavior, right? That's, that's what players do. You're the game promotes it and safety just, in numbers. Yeah. I mean, it, that's normal, right? It, but is that the whole intent? I mean, you guys sort of put that into to you put in assault, you put in conquest, and the people didn't like the fact that there's turrets or that they could be out capped They just wanted to fight. D- do you like this game mode? I mean, do you like that deathballing is sort of the the go to? Or well, the thing about deathballing is that is a totally player driven aspect of that
2: game mode. Like skirmish is, as you say, the very raw game mode for Mech Warrior. It's twelve. 12- mechs versus 12 mechs just beating the living snot out of each other and that's what people were asking for and we gave it to you uncensored raw no little I don't know hidden objectives in there it's just here you go this is a 12v12 match last man standing wins and when it comes to deathballing, you know what that is a valid tactic for skirmish because what you're doing is trying to survive you're trying to outlast the enemy team and that's unfortunately what's going to be happening in this kind of a game mode and yes it is intentional to be that way
1: all right so that covers pretty much assault conquest in skirmish questions we have right now um but still kind of within the the territory of game modes uh solo drops have you ever considered allowing different maps to have smaller team sizes for example maybe eight on forest colony
2: now, this touches on to something that I probably shouldn't be talking about, but at the same time,
1: it's something that
2: I am very passionate about. Is we love that, that. If we do want to be doing things like smaller team sizes on a per map basis, I wouldn't do that in core gameplay. What I would do is pull that into the whole realm of Solaris, right? So, if you want to go 1v1, you can do that. You can do 2v2, 3v3, 4v4, might skip 5, 6, 7, skip up to 8. Maybe, I don't know if you'd want to go 12v12 in a small map for Solaris, but this is where we can really allow the competitive teams and just people who just want to basically have the biggest, let's say, flag on the battlefield, right? So that's something I've always been trying to lean towards personally, but we're still in the talks with that. Russ and I have been talking about that actually fairly recently and quite extensively, and it's something that we're really excited into doing.
0: Now, obviously, this doesn't necessarily have to do with game modes, but it definitely affects it. It is the map sizes. Um, you know, obviously, the older maps were designed literally around having four mechs on per side and then eight, and Forest Colony being one of those, River City. Obviously, it's it's gone up. You've got another eight mechs on the battlefield. Have you thought about, you know, maybe getting the mappers to open those up a little bit, or uh, or do you like the fact that you know they are a little bit closer, so it does change up the gameplay that's that's had on them.
2: Well, here's the thing, is that we are going back and we are going to revisit the current maps, right? Um, that's every single map that's out there from the oldest to newest. Um, every single one of them can use a little bit of gameplay tweaking. Every single one of them could use a little bit of scaling. We could theoretically push out the train a little bit in the map like Forest Colony to make it a little bit bigger. Uh, we could change the pathing up. We could change the sight lines up a little bit more. Um, my big issue with forest colony has always been the fact that you can see from one base to the other for as soon as you spawn and that's something I'd like to see get addressed and yeah it's something that we do have planned in the new year
1: that is something I know a lot of people are going to like the just the whole kind of going back and retouching some of the older maps Um, whatever kind of passes are done on them I, I know there's an argument out there people are like no just leave them alone and just do new maps but there's a lot of good maps, and it would be cool to see, uh, you know, where they could go. Can you? Well, oh, one ahead.
2: thing you can touch on, like, is the fact that, you know, there's maps out there like uh, Alpine, for example. It's not the most favored map out there. It is one of the bigger ones, um, but at the same time, is that the pathing on that map needs a little bit of reworking? And going back and doing something like that would be a lot less time involved than actually creating a whole new map. But it also bring the viability of playing on Alpine a lot higher like people would enjoy playing it a lot more than they do right now
0: <clears throat> terra therma. Oh, oh geez did i say that, <laughs> that? Uh, well so there's a few things i wanted to to bring up is you know um on certain maps obviously i know we're getting off track here but i think it's okay uh we're talking about polish really that's that's what we're talking about right i mean obviously you are literally working on community warfare getting that out um when we're looking at polish and one of the things critiques uh, about maps has been, uh, you know, on Forest Colony and River City, the brown and about the, the lack of color and the 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 again the design faults in those. And it is good to hear to and to know um, exactly what you were just saying is those do need fixed. They they do need looked at. You know, uh, cover concealment, being able to see across Alpine. I think you know, obviously, I know not all maps. Um, are supposed to feel exactly the same, but I, those are definitely I-9 Hill, Alpine, being able to literally see every single movement, you know, how especially on, like, even Assault, um, how beneficial it is to have the I-9 Hill in that base because the enemy team can't assault your base without you being able to shoot them and stuff, so, it, you know, I think it's, it's really important for people to, uh, to know that you guys are looking at those things, and because, yeah, you could spend all the time and energy to create new maps, but then we're still stuck with imbalanced maps and we're still stuck with maps that, you know, need love. I mean, really.
2: Yeah, plus you're going to get a lot faster turnaround on that kind of touch-up rather than creating a whole new map asset, right? And this is something that um, Thad, our level designer, is actually working on, but it's also something that we have to hold off until just after we finish off Community Warfare. Now, I've said Community Warfare about, what, 40 times now? And (laughs) it's not... Just an uh, excuse is basically saying that it's all hands on deck. And in the next Community Warfare update, which will be coming out today, I'll be leaking some extra information on this particular front. And yeah, you'll have to wait and see
1: for that. Excellent. Now, of course, this won't be aired until tomorrow by the earliest. So if you do want to divulge any of that information, the people in here are bound by oaths and will be killed uh accordingly but um speaking of community warfare but we're also kind of finishing up with game modes we've talked about three current game modes in the game assault conquest and skirmish can you tell us any more about the future game mode currently codenamed invasion um of course you did touch on it in the vlog um if you want to reiterate any of that that's fine but if there's anything that you want to i don't know for example leak right now that would be fine as well
2: well, here's the thing is that when we're investigating invasion it started opening up a whole new channel in terms of what we can put into a map and what we can get away with and one of the big things was actually starting to animate some of the actual hard point locations uh what i mean by this is for example is the actual gate that's an actual physical gate that's opening now and that's something we weren't able to do before uh, during this investigation, we've also discovered that we might be able to take, I don't know, a bridge and have that blown out from underneath the mech and have that mech fall through the rubble. And if the rubble lands on top of the mech, that mech dies. So it's opening mm. up a whole new avenue for us in terms of like what we can get away with when we start building maps, when we start doing level design, when we start doing gameplay flow. And it's an exciting thing that... Is, it's allowing us to do things that we haven't been able to do before. And it's also opening up a whole bunch of development channels for us in order to get like, a lot of stuff we've always wanted to have. I mean, the community has always wanted this, that, and the next thing. And guess what? The development team has been sitting here wishing the exact same thing. We just not, have not had the time to get to it. And fortunately, invasion and the investigation involved with it is allowing us to do it. So, yeah.
0: We hear all the busy people behind you. Question in regards to that, you know, I don't know if you were hinting at it, but um, we know that maps were held up by, you know, the IGP thing. And we've heard Russ's, you know, uh, speak for him. But from the design perspective, was community warfare or the maps or what some of the things, was that hindered, uh, you know, from your perspective, from design perspective? Uh, No, not really, right? Um, We've always had to have
2: our primary objectives like for example, when Russ said that it's all hands on deck for community warfare right now, he is telling you 100% the truth there's not a person in this studio who's not working on that right now. Um, it's this kind of mentality is that drives the whole team to focus on one feature at a time and it's very valid for a small studio like us but at the same time is that those targets that we would have target dates, target I don't know feature sets, would be shifting when it came down to this whole I don't know balance between IGP and PGI and that's one of the great things that has come out of this is that we are now in 100 percent control over what we want to start doing what when we want to deliver things where we deliver it and how we deliver it
0: in regards to the uh the invasion um you guys have done public testing before is there going to be a public test before it goes live you know get you know possibly thousands of people you know, in it. You know, that's not really my call. That's actually Russ's call, whether or not
2: he wants to get that content out there. Like, we do understand. Like, you have to understand that we do get it. That we do need to have serious amounts of testing on this game mode and this map. But at the same time, is that we also want to have some sort of oomph when we start launching Community to Warfare. We want people to log in and just go, "Oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever." Right, and when you have a public test, it kind of takes away from that feeling. There's no real gotcha moments anymore. So that's one thing we were talking about. It's marketing-driven, but at the same time, it builds up a level of excitement within the community that we don't want to lose.
0: I was going to say, I think we've talked about this before, but I think a lot of people felt about that way, let down about the clans, and you know, we've heard a lot about that. But I can definitely see where you're coming from. I remember when the clan... Um, are we gonna call it the debacle? That you know. I will hold my tongue on the clan one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Tell us how. How do you really build?
2: No, no, no. Because <laughs> there's still people around this office who can come over here and stomp on my. You know what?
0: All right. Walking into uh, obviously we just talked about game modes and some of the things that uh, a lot of players and it's been a topic of discussion. But that that systems in MWO, you guys are doing things that literally no. MechOrg game has done before, and also you're sort of taking it to the next level. Um, What I mean by that is uh, stuff like ECM being able to counter and disrupt. You've got, uh, you know, obviously uh, line of sight, target sharing. You've got uh, hard points. All That whole works. But let's go ahead and talk about one specific thing. Uh, You know, ECM. uh, I know a lot of people feel like it's in a good place. Some people don't feel like it's in a good place. But um, you guys just recently did a buff to BAP. Uh, So now that there's so many counters to ECM, have you guys thought about bringing in new mechs uh, that actually have ECM in the time frame? Have you guys thought about that?
2: Uh, yeah, and there's even talks of adding ECM to some of the current existing chassis. Like, for example, like, I'm not going to say there's all of a sudden going to be a general door with ECM, but there, that's an example, is that there are certain chassis out there that do not have ecm on any of their variants and that's something we are investigating as for bringing in new content new mechs specifically for ecm that would be outside of my realm because that is a russ and david bradley call i basically wait until they stick the mech into the game and then i just work with them from there
0: now with ecm there's a lot of discussion of uh, a lot of people don't like it some people love it what are your thoughts
2: that's a tricky balance there um on one hand i think it's great at what it can do i mean the ability to be able to essentially stop an lrm storm um the fact that it does such a i don't know black and white job of it that's something that can be debated that's something we're always talking about internally um, I know this is a hot topic within the community, and I have this conversation on a daily basis with Russ. Is like, what can we do with this? What are we going to do with this? Um, there's a whole bunch of great ideas we've read from the community, um, we just got to make sure that we're taking this in the proper vein of what we want ECM to be doing. Uh, I guess the best thing that I can say is that as we figure out what we want ECM to be exactly doing, you will see the changes coming down the line, and Russ's you guys a champion right now. So, basically, we have these discussions. We run the pros and cons through everything. And then we look for solutions. And we also look to the community for solutions. So, we'll keep those rolling in.
1: Very good info. Yeah, that ECM is such a touchy sub- subject. It's one of those that is very divisive. You have people that absolutely love it and people that absolutely hate it. I guess there's some indifferent. But, uh, anyway, moving on to another one. I don't think this one is as divisive command wheel uh is this something that you guys will be looking at anytime soon i do have some follow-ups i guess i'll just put them in here now uh if you are looking at it and i hope you are uh, no pressure uh do you know how you're gonna make it work i.e battlefield style um things like shoot my target uh sos and map pinging etc what are your thoughts no thank you
2: (laughs) actually You know, this is something that I've wanted. This is something like a lot of people have wanted to have in the game. And I'll tell you why. From my point of view, now this is going to get me a lot of hatred on the forums, but I think the command wheel would have a much bigger impact on the game than VoIP would. And that's because you're not dealing with any sort of signal-to-noise ratio when you're dealing with the command wheel because you're getting a straight-up shoot my target or assist or this is primary target, move to this location, that kind of stuff is direct information to your team to say this is what we expect to have performing on the battlefield. Whereas with VoIP, you're going to have this slight kind of conversation. You're going to have people who call out certain situations that isn't understood. Like military slogans aren't understood universally throughout the world. And you're gonna get confusion there. You're also gonna get a lot of noise from people who use it as their own personal play-by-play status update. Now I'm not sure if any of you have ever played Arma out there using voice yes. It's kind of ridiculous because say I'm in this position I'm moving forward 20 feet okay I'm here now now I'm gonna look over there I'm gonna shoot over there now I'm gonna go this way and it's just like stop with the noise and yeah. I know yes you can mute those players, but the thing is you're gonna to get to the point where you're muting so many players, you just may as well turn that feature off, right? And this is why I feel that Command Wheel is such a big, big uh, feature to get into the game. It's something I'm gonna be pushing for almost immediately after Community Warfare goes live. Um, Russ has some other features that he wants in the game, but at the same time, this is something that I think we can concurrently develop like right in the new year. so. We'll let you know as the development progresses. There,
0: I think one of the important things is to look at what aspects of MWO, uh, as far as in teams in combat, are lack. in my dog. Are lacking, and I think the biggest thing is is communication. Now, I'm in 100% agreement, Paul, about VoIP, but I also want to preface this for everyone listening. I think they're two different things. Um, I don't think you can say VoIP is the end all be all, and I don't think you can think command will is then all be all They're tools and the more tools you have the better and i feel like right now the issue is if i'm gonna match solo or group and i can't hit b bring up the map take command plug away on it just it doesn't work like that i it, it'd be nice to be able to say you, you look up at the uav i can't shoot it down but I can spot it and maybe hit Q, uh, again, going back to that sort of battlefield style. And all of a sudden it pings, or you have bitching Betty that's like, you know, UAV, you know, detected, UAV detected. But it doesn't say it unless there is actually a UAV and it pings or whatever. And I feel like communication is probably one of the biggest benefits to actually being on Team Speak that we always talk about, right? As coordination is OP, you know, like in that nature. So I feel like Command wheel is a must, and I think, you know, no one would argue with that, um, you know, across the board. Uh, I just feel that uh, that sort of argument between, oh, well, VoIP needs to go in our command wheel, I think it's two different arguments, and it's two different tools, and I think both are great, but me personally, I'm turning VoIP off. You know, I mean, I've I played Planet Side, I've played Armor. I've played Battle. VoIP I, is I divisive. It
1: yeah, there's tons of people that will immediately say no to VoIP, but I've never heard anybody
0: say no to Command Wheel. Now, I will say this if you guys do do a VoIP, or, or when you do, or I'm assuming, are you doing a VoIP? Yes, no?
2: Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> All
0: right, so if you do, I think one of the cool things is uh, there's an um, uh, Elite Dangerous has this, is where. It actually sounds like you're talking through a radio system, so it actually sounds cool, right? It gives that sort of immersion feel. So I guess that would be my only thing is uh, maybe to use for like machinima or any type of movie. That might actually make like 10-year-old boys' voices tolerable. Well,
2: here's the thing too is that do you think in the year 3025 that we'd still have this staticky kind of (laughs) low-fi community? I've heard that argument as well.
0: I don't know, man. It's more like immersion though. Yeah, and military technology—they go for ruggedness over sometimes quality. I mean, that—that that is one thing. Even today, I, yeah, I will it's not say, the
1: latest iPhone. Come on,
0: yeah, come on. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no command wheel—it's a must. Um, you know, VoIP. See,
2: I agree with you, Phil, is that there is no end-all, be-all to either one of them, right? The reason why I do favor uh, the command wheel is because of the low signal-to-noise ratio.
0: Yeah, and I think it's you don't. What happens if that person turns off VoIP? Then what they get no feedback. And I feel like if you have both, if if you know, there are going to be times when, um, I will say I hop in group, and I know pretty much everyone on the enemy team or my own team, and so knowing those players were on different team speaks. It would be nice just to be like, hey guys, we're going to move up here. All right, sounds good. We're we're on your six. You know, I you know that's going to be expected, but the ability to be able to turn it off or maybe even mute players or whatever, I don't know. Um, maybe it, players are automatically muted if they're not on my friends list, and if they're on my friends list, you know, then I have to manually, I don't know, something, but just to be able to turn them off. See,
2: and that right there kind of breaks the system. I'm not saying that your idea is bad or anything. All I'm just saying is that if you look at it as an approach of, okay, only people on your friends list can talk to you, that means when you're pugging, you're going to hear absolutely nothing from no one, right? And that's one of the major, major issues about VoIP, is that controlling it is going to be more of a headache for a player than having a command wheel
1: no i totally agree phil wouldn't have that issue though he goes out of I his way to make sure everybody is on places. his friends list
0: yeah. yeah i got friends everywhere i've been actually trying to break the friends list since uh ui <laughs> 2.0 again my friends list is full of haters <laughs> right I'd 2700 and we broke it yeah
1: All right, moving on. That's good news, though. So immediately, sometime immediately after Community Warfare, look for something like Command Wheel to at least uh, start in development. That would be awesome. So many people would be happy about that. Uh, One last thing under systems, and that's sensors and radar. Are there any plans to develop Electronic Warfare, that role, further? Uh, Definitely. Like, There's just so many potential avenues that we can go down with all that
2: stuff. So it's, like I said, all this stuff is great. It's stuff we want to be doing, it's stuff even the team's just all excited about, but we just don't have the time to get to it yet. Now, remember is that Community Warfare is one of the final big pillars that we have to push out for MechWarrior Online, and this is going to open up a lot more bandwidth for us to start approaching the stuff that we want to see in the game. Um, Sensors, the Electronic Warfare um, role is something that we do want to see improved on drastically. Not that it's horrible, it's just that we want to see it become deeper. Um, The same goes for um, role warfare in general between the mechs, Then that's something that you see happening with the Quirk system coming in. Uh, We want to see it in just mech warfare. We want a longer time to death, and that's all stuff we will be working on in the uh, new year.
0: One of the ideas I've heard for sensors and radar, I guess, is to actually distinguish the two. Um, right now, that uh, how it works is if you have line of sight on a target what, within 750 meters, you lock on, and it automatically gives you the you know after a few seconds you get target info, you know as far as their loadout stuff. A lot of people have brought up the fact of there's a role there for possibly lights of what happens if you have line of sight and you can lock on, it gives that red bracket, but unless you're in your sensor range, you're not going to get that target info unless. Either one, you're in that range, or two, you have a light mech or maybe a specialty mech that can lock onto that target as well and share. But then as soon as they, I mean, there's a lot of the those ideas, and it gives them a role, a role on the battlefield, not just being, you know, there for damage or you know stuff like that. And um, I think a lot of people are looking forward to that, just sort of being expanded upon, is uh, that distinction between um, a mech being just hey i'm just here to take damage and deal damage and that's it to me actually being able to perform a role whether that's uh well being a heavy pilot i have no problems whatsoever using a light pilot to be a
2: antenna meat shield so yeah all (laughs) that all that kind of stuff is very valid and stuff that we could bring in but again it'll be in the new year
0: all right, so question about uh, Matchmaker. Now, we've had a lot of discussion with Carl about this, the technical side behind it, and we've heard Russ's uh, opinion on it. I want to get your your feelings, like your feels. I want your feels on player choice in regards to group size and mech selection in the public queue. And I'm not going to say anything. I just want to hear your <laughs> thoughts and opinions. Go.
2: Mm-hmm. Um let me see honesty is
0: the best policy people. no i'm
2: just actually rethinking the question because
1: someone came up behind me and kicked my chair and now i'm just like uh what <laughs> yeah now it, what he, what he's getting at is you know like group queue public queue right now players have a lot of player choice you know from group size to mech selection and so forth there's not a lot of restrictions uh not saying that's good or bad not pushing an agenda but you know basically what are your thoughts
2: Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: about that. <laughs> um, you know,
2: I'm all for whatever the, is for the betterment of the game, right? I mean, there's that whole saying, you're not going to make everybody happy, and that's true. But at the same time, it's like, you got to allow some sort of choice. Because otherwise, it just becomes this grind of, I'm dropping into random matches, or random maps, random game modes. I have no control over it. I really, really, really don't like playing this one game mode, right? And, yeah, it comes down to the whole thing. It's like, how much do you want to give in order to get a fluid, fast-reacting matching system? And it's about, like, the more choices you throw into that matchmaker, the longer it's going to take, the harder it's going to be to find matches. Um, Like, for example, we have our maps, we have our three game modes, and that's enough permutations to make the matchmaker just go through like mountains of data just to find a match and put it together. And the more we add to that, the more maps, more game modes, it's just gonna exasperate that problem. So we're gonna have to look into exactly how we're gonna address this. This is something that is an ongoing conversation that's between Russ and Carl, and I just chime in on whether or not I think it's gonna destroy the wait times or not.
0: So I have a question. Obviously, we've, we've talked about this in length, and I wanted to hear your opinion. I don't want to, you know, push an agenda. But my question would be is, you said the game comes first and game balance, right? That That's, that's most important. Um, looking at the current system right now, when you guys implemented the solo queue and the group queue, uh, originally the plan was to have, uh, you know, two to four mans with the solo droppers, and then, you know, above would be the bigger groups. Is there any correlation between, like, group size and, and win rate? And, I mean... Well, I mean... Well, okay, yeah. Be, duh, we know okay. there is. Yeah, okay. So, let, let, let's just be honest here. Right now, the game basically says the bigger the group, the better, and so just group up. Well, that's I, I feel like that's sort of counterintuitive because you're going to get to a point where matchmaker basically knows there's no chance in, you know, hell that whoever they match up against, that they have a chance of winning, but you know, I guess that's where my main issue, and I went on a rant on the NGNG podcast about it, of saying, like, if I drop twenty times, and there is two times where a matchmaker knows I am not going to win, that to me as a player, that's not acceptable. Some people would say, well, you know, it only happens like twice, Phil. You know, out of twenty matches. But to me, I am like, that's that's not acceptable. I mean, basically, yeah.
1: this has been an ongoing issue. Um, we have, you know, Phil. It's it's a I I tend to agree with Phil, but I am not as um, hardcore about it. Uh, I would I just because I play a lot of similar games group group size usually aren't over four um, I understand this, the math and the science behind but it why,
0: but why is that that I, I guess but the, the point that's, is that's the
1: thing. but what I'm getting at is that there's plenty of people out there that totally disagree with Phil and I and that is totally okay there's people that say if you take out you know the five plus groups uh, I'm going to stop playing the game or whatever. So we understand there's that contingent out there. Phil and I just happen to have the opinion that smaller groups would be lead to better balance. Now, would it be enough of an upgrade to the balance of the matches to make the game significantly better? Maybe, maybe not. But yeah, I mean, that's essentially what is underlying all this.
2: Well, here's the thing on
1: that, is that the group sizes of five plus, for example, um,
2: they aren't necessarily for the betterment of the game. What they are for is the betterment of letting players play with their friends. Now you have five friends, you all having beers, like let's play Macquarie Online. There's a seven-man group now just dropping into the matchmaker, right? That's not a very friendly situation for the matchmaker to deal with. Um, there are some things that I'm not sure if people are overlooking, but the fact that you have a 12-man group. Okay, these 12 players are in their own VoIP solution. They're in TeamSpeak talking to each other, communicating. Now drop two six-man groups. Each one of those six-man groups is in their own TeamSpeak. The chances of one uh, six-man group talking to the other six-man group is very, very low because of this third-party communication system. Now somebody might say, well, why don't you bring VoIP in? That'll fix everything, and that's not true when you're sitting there in a group of your own six, you're going to be very private and selective. It's no different than having a group of six friends standing on the street corner after a movie, just talking about the movie, than some, I don't know, random six other people just start talking to you. What is the natural reaction there, right? And it's the same thing in gaming. In fact, it's exasperated in gaming because people are very, very competitive and they're also very, very uh, tight-knit when it comes to who they're playing with. So... Yeah, it's just this big catch 22 that's going to be happening in both directions no matter what we do. The matter of the things that we have to do is basically see what we can do to get the matchmaker doing its job, doing it efficiently, while allowing players to have as much choice as they can. Um, I won't go into detail because I'm sure Russ is going to talk about it soon, but they are looking into a tonnage solution for uh, both the private and public queue. Um, sorry, group que- group queues, and that's something that from the sounds of it what I'm looking at um, might actually work because you imagine like a six groups of two players so there's a bunch of two-man groups out there and they get dropped against a 12-man group. Now what if that group of six uh, two players has a lot more tonnage to their availability than that 12-man did? Right, because the twelve man's already conforming to the threes rule. So yeah, I won't go into too much more detail. Russ will explain it to you guys. Carl did is it something too. that Carl already spilled the
1: beans. No Eric. no no, not what's coming up. Just the <laughs> just the, basically how in depth the whole process is behind the scenes. Yes. Yeah. And at the same time is that the new system
2: that they're talking about sounds pretty good on paper. Um I would have to see it in action, but like I said, Russ will come up with some information on that soon.
0: I guess my yeah you know, again it comes back to there's a difference between Darren you brought it up other games other titles like MWO as far as free to play they don't allow in a public queue yes in a perfect world Paul I would agree it's nice to be able to drop with my friends or whatever right drink some beers but I feel like that's where that's where the, the game designers and developers have to put their foot down and say look the reality of it is is if you want to do that you have private matches of course but also we've got community warfare. Um, you mentioned it yourself, there's going to be issues once you add more maps and game modes. um, But also, no other games do it. Like, I don't know of any others that allow a... uh, It's not always comp teams, even though they get dragged through the mud, but anybody with 8- to 12-man people, and they're organized. I mean, you're talking on multiple different levels. Not only are they organized on TS, they're coordinated, and we already know how powerful that is. Um, that whatever builds they're rolling. I mean, you literally can set up, and there's teams that do it currently that never lose.
1: Yeah, Ever. but I I want to reiterate that number one, this is just Phil and I's opinion as far as having smaller group sizes, and also it's not it, th- these things aren't black and white; it, they're very gray area. It's you're talking about game balance or matchmaker balance versus basically player quality of life, and so how much is doing something like we're suggesting going to improve matchmaker and how much is it going to take away from gamer quality of life so i i definitely am hearing the people out there that are saying f you phil for you know for even well, I'm suggesting just it.
0: it i'm just bringing it up because right. it is an issue and there are people that you know it's like well
1: it's an issue for and, some and it's and not and not i for guess some.
0: you know paul is a lot of people have this magical uh you know matchmaker system that right all matches are going to end in 11 v 12 but even Carl mentioned this last time we had him on the podcast. He said, it's actually funny. The closer Elo variants is to each other, the more stomps we see, which he said that's actually an interesting correlation because, you know, you get this opinion that, oh, well, if everyone's equal skill, that, that you know, you, uh, closer matches. But the reality of it is is you can't screw up as the skill gets closer and as you move up, one mistake. So, you know, it's just one of those things where... Sorry. Uh, What happens there is that
2: the fact that losing a player, like we lose one mech, because the teams are evenly matched like that, that impact of that one player dropping is much bigger than when it comes to the teams that are unbalanced in terms of the skill. Right? Because now the chance of rolling is actually like not... Double, but then it's exacerbated. Yeah, exacerbated. Yep. And at the same time, you lose that second mech on one team, and it's still twelve on the other team. It's just going to exacerbate the problem even worse, right? And it just ends in a roll like that, and that's
1: because the two teams are so closely matched together. The better your team is, the more likely they're going to take advantage of any or take advantage of any advantage, essentially. My ducks. Exactly.
0: All right. Speaking of community warfare, let's go to move on. Um Will Invasion mode be available on every map, or just specific maps?
2: Uh, the way Invasion works is that it requires a choke point. Now, that's something that's going to funnel players into like heavy, heavy combat, and that's something that's not really available on other maps. Um, like Forest Colony, you might be able to get away with it. Uh, the problem with Forest Colony is obviously the water side. It's just way too wide open to put any sort of major blocker in there um but for example i guess alpine you might be able to get away with it right it's just that like i said it's a specialized game mode for a specialized maps um now this podcast is going out after the community warfare update so you know what i will sneak a little thing in there is that there is a second map ready for community warfare that map is About to go into testing fairly soon. Uh the original map, Frost, is already in testing. Uh it's playing out well. We just gotta make sure that we stabilize that build because every once in a while it does like to crash on us, but the engineers are on top
1: of it right now. So yeah. So there's some sneak peek info for you guys. That is awesome. Thank you. Um now also on invasion mode, will that do you know if that will be available in private lobbies? Uh, That hasn't been discussed yet. Right now we're focusing on keeping it for Community Warfare to make it
2: that much more of a specialized scenario. Um, Remember, we want Planetary Warfare in Community Warfare to feel epic and that's what um, Invasion Game Mode was about. Especially that it includes the dropship ability that allows people to come in waves and you have this massive massive fight for the planet.
0: I think uh, the, the main reason being is uh, because of user-created leagues. Um, uh, you know, not to mention videos and stuff. But uh, for those user-created leagues, they would love to utilize some of these game modes that are potentially even, well, let's just be honest, cooler and better than the generic stuff that you get in pub play.
2: Yeah, that's understandable. Like, I'm not saying it's off the table, but for right now, when we're heading towards the December launch, basically, we are not considering putting it into the private lobbies for now.
0: Alright, speaking of which, what is the current plan for seasonal length? Because the the big reason is, and I guess this is why, and you guys are sort of expecting it, what's gonna happen? You guys go live, is one side gonna completely dominate? and what's? I mean, you're gonna reset? What, what, what's your plan on that?
2: Well, here's the thing, is that if you were to see the last Community Warfare update that I did, is that that new contract system that players sign up for short periods of time or permanent uh, that eliminates the need to have seasons so the only time that we are going to be resetting the inner sphere is if something drastically wrong goes happens right like all of a sudden i don't know we have the frr take over the entire inner sphere and they hold off the clan invasion right we're gonna have to do something at that point but at the same time it's like we all know that the frr is going to suffer quite heavy-handedly during community warfare but at the same time is that yeah we're trying to get rid of the season idea we're gonna make it play out as the players basically see fit like if they want to defend properly and they could actually hold the clans from actually
1: coming into the inner sphere and it's entirely up to them so yeah so you're saying that you're thinking actually of getting rid of Seasons altogether, and the only way you're going to reset it, I'm just wanting to reiterate because this is a big deal, is if something essentially goes drastically wrong or somebody completely dominates.
2: That is correct. Right? Wow. And even the domination system. Now remember, we have reserved the home planet for each of the factions. So a p- faction will never be 100% er- eradicated. They will always have one little planet that they can hold on to, right?
1: And they can work their way back from that right. point. Got to have a home base, my home planet.
0: So, question for you and uh Darren: We've talked about this on the podcast. Is mm. how much of an advantage will I guess bigger units be? And what is the size limit on that? And the reason uh, th- that question I think is there is a lot of units on like World of Tanks would split up into multi units, and the reason being for that was because one they could hit multiple planet, or you know they. In this regard, you could hit multiple planets, border planets, whatever factions going on, um, and that there obviously there was a limit. And the reason I think this is really important, Paul, is uh, one the size of the unit, and then do they have to split up, or what about alliances? And you know, when then you get start getting into if there is small units, then they'll have alliances and possibly resources. You know, you'd have to this be this huge. You know. Planetary grind, and you've got these powerhouses, and there's going to be some really good units that are going to be pretty unstoppable and stuff like that. So, is there going to be an advantage to having a large unit in community warfare, or is there going to be a size cap, or what? Sorry, I got to quit marking every time I hear that term unit,
2: um, unit, unit, cockpit, well, not just unit, just large oh. unit. Yes, um,
1: size does not matter. We know
2: <laughs> uh, the thing about having a large member count uh, that's not even better Um, (laughs) the thing about having a large unit is the fact that you will be able to put out more uh games per per uh planet cycle and that's something that's going to allow you to take over planets is going to allow you to actually get your names on planets. now the whole idea of being able to upgrade turrets like, like i mentioned before has not been dropped off the table it might slip off into the next update for Community Warfare, but it is something that we're looking into, and the ability to do that, the ability to hold um, a planet as a Merc unit, and the more numbers you have, the chances are much higher that you're going to be able to do that. Um, there's your benefit right there, and that's also going to allow you to basically have your name on a lot more planets than just one here or one there, right? And it's just a sure volume of combat or volume of matches kicked off by your unit that will be able to basically make you notorious throughout the entire universe and when it comes to alliances that's entirely up to the players like if you have a karita faction or a karita unit that is sitting there right next to davian and they're sitting there going you know what let's work together uh we are going to allow you to take this planet but we want this planet up here just so we can get a little bit closer to the frr so once we break into frr space we can just eradicate them and that's something that is totally in the hands of the players if Davion wants to say you know what we're never going to bug Karita, Karita, just make sure that you're just staying on top of getting rid of frr and then Karita only has to focus all of their forces all of their action onto that uh Korea FR border. Right. So, it's all player driven.
0: All right, so speaking of which, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of this has to do with like border worlds under contention. Um is there going to be any way for it be a, like special contract or like a behind enemy lines maybe to throw off like if you know, the whole front being able to jump I guess, two or three or four planets inward and maybe pull people away? Is that ever going to be a possibility for maybe like mercenaries or something? Uh, not at not, the not
2: gate. That's something that would probably come with some sort of logistics, right? And like I said, logistics is something we want to do, but it's such a big, big undertaking that we'd have to wait for a phase three of community warfare. And I see that kind of activity as being a part of that. Alright, so it would be a ways out it's something that we're never going to say no to but at the same time we have to make sure that we hit our targets properly on our way there so
1: yeah i am so excited for this stuff i mean i'm sure there's some people that you know don't touch it with a 10-foot pole but player alliances and um you know politics within a game it just harkens back to eve and um world tanks i love that kind of stuff where you know different units are working together and it's just like real world politics where you know personalities can make or break it and things could be changing on a daily weekly basis uh it's just going to add such another level to the game i can't wait well this is why we call it community
2: warfare it's not because of there's a community in the inner sphere it's because there's a community out there who have their own websites They have our forums, they go to Reddit, they go to 4chan, they go to wherever they have to go to to create their own little, I don't know, backstabbing cliques, and they're going to pull off this incredible stunt that's just going to blow our minds, right? Yes. And that is what we're all about. Like, go ahead, do that. We're going to support you in any way we can, right? So, yeah.
0: Now, for that, there would have to be resources, you know, for the most part, I guess, you know, that whole consolidation and manipulation but are there going to actually be resources are there going to be reasons for taking a certain planet and you know uh, you, you mentioned there won't be logistics right off the bat but that's a big reason like in a few other titles where you know someone hoists that or takes that away or you know pulls one up on another yeah, like we're, we're very well aware
2: of the fact that some planets are noted for building this kind of mech or that kind of mech or this kind of technology. And it's something that we'd like to bring into, but right now our database systems will not support that kind of tracking and that kind of dynamic switching of things. Like this comes to the whole thing of like, okay, if we take this planet and it's known for making atlases, does that mean our unit can buy atlases at a right. cheaper price? Now that's something that we'd love to see. However, it's something that our backend database cannot handle at this moment. And that's a big, big rewrite. And again, that would fall into the whole phase three thing, right? And when I say phase three, phase three is going to encompass a lot of stuff. And most of it being uh, logistics, most of it being stuff like this, most of it being stuff like, okay, every Merc unit has to pick a home planet. Now, the tra- cost of traveling to different planets is going to vary based on the number of jumps it's going to take to, take to get there, right? You're not going to be able to jump from one half of Korea to the other half instantaneously. Um, that's something that would take quite a few days. Maybe you upgrade your jump ships so that you can actually travel faster or get further jumps per day or what have you. And that's all like a major, major, major system that we have to write, rewrite a lot of the underlying system just to accommodate. So that's why phase three would be the whole um, infrastructure for doing things like that and logistics.
0: Well, I think one of the things that's always uh, been on our minds in the past was, uh, you know, when you look at MWO, specifically uh, the core game, you don't lose assets, right? You don't lose a mech, you screw up whatever, you just go on to the next match. It's the c built grind, right? And I know um, you guys removed Repair and Rearm for a good reason. It was very punishing, especially to new players, and it punished players for, like, taking out their toys, right? Um, I'm assuming when you say logistics and stuff, is that ever a possibility to where, like, there's an actual purpose of having plans? Like you said, atlases are cheaper to where you may actually lose max, or maybe there's more to it to destruction of assets, or...? I'm not sure about pulling uh, assets out of somebody's account.
2: Now, that's something that could go into some sort of hardcore mode or something, but it would not be something that you just openly just go, you know what, you lost that fight, say goodbye to that very expensive atlas list you just paid for, right? Or somebody comes in, new to the game, they see the Timberwolf, they love it, so they buy it with MC, they go into a match, and also bang, it's gone. Right? Mm. That, that's something we do not want to see happen. Although it may be amusing, but we
1: don't <laughs> want to see it happen. So mean. Well, speaking of resources, um, another resource unit coffers. Uh, you've mentioned a couple things that those could be used for. Are there any other ideas or any other things in development that uh, people, units, will be able to spend their coffers on? Right off the gate is going to be used to cover drop
2: costs and after that it's coming up the, lo- the whole logistics thing. I mean, uh, something that I mentioned earlier was the whole thing about being up- being able to upgrade turrets. Now, I'm not sure as of right now if we're going to have that capability on day one, right? It might actually come before phase three. It might come right after we launch uh, Community Warfare. But that's also something that would be really cool is that if you did get the num- maximum number of wins or sorry, the highest number of wins for a planet while you're attacking it, your unit's going to take control of that planet. Your unit can then use the Seville coffers to upgrade the turrets that are that happen or sorry turrets for any games that happen on that planet from that point on. Now, if you lose that planet, right, you're going to say goodbye to your turrets. But at the same time is that it's going to make it a lot easier to defend the planet when you do have upgraded turrets.
0: The timeline, have you guys ever thought about, you know, replaying, like, 3050 over and over, or are you guys going to jump new max tech? I mean, what are your... You know, that's so far down the line that that would be something
2: that Russ could talk about because Russ also talks about things like 3025-only uh, tech or things like... Um, mm specific mechs on certain battles on this specific planet, right? I would expect Um, those
1: to require a database rewrite as well.
2: (laughs) Uh yeah, but at the same time is that is stuff that they are currently implementing while they're doing phase two, right? Um not as a full on feature, but they're just planning for it. They're making sure that when a planet is selected that there's a set uh number of rules that you can put on that planet. So when you drop onto Planet Romulus, you can only take these mech chassis, or you can only play in this game mode, or only on this map because it's specialized, right? And that's something that's got a backbone to it, but it's not gonna be a fully featured uh, planned thing in in phase two. All
0: right, so um, this isn't the topic of community warfare, but uh, I definitely wanted to to bring this up. You mentioned time to kill earlier. Um, Obviously, that was a big topic over at the general forums, and uh, a lot of people's uh, opinions are, you know, with the quirks coming in, that it would lower time to kill. And obviously, time to kill has a ton of variables, but you mentioned it specifically. The time to kill obviously changes with skill level, what mech you're in, what mechs decisions, player decisions, map, game modes, stuff like that. But you said it was low. What are your thoughts on that? And what are your thoughts on possibly adjusting it?
2: Well, here's my thing: is that I think time to kill is way too fast for a game right now. Um, there's a reason for this: is just because of the pure damage output that every mech can do, right? Um, this plays out totally different in tabletop than it does in a real-time simulation game, and it's something that I'd like to address. Now, this is a highly contested type of conversation that happens here in the office now since russ has thrown me under the bus a few times in terms of throwing here out, we go throwing out some things of along the lines of what does the community think well here's what i think and this is just a personal thing is not a directive from the company it's not something that's going to happen but at the same time i just like to know what the community thinks what i would like to do is bump up the inner uh the structure inside of a mech, so basically there's more internal health points, and increase the uh, health on items. So instead of just 10 health on a medium laser, it'd have like 20. Um, Your internal structure would go up by, I don't know, 15 to 20% just to see, like just increments to see how long we can set it so that it takes a little bit longer for you to kill a mech. Now, we will keep in mind that if we do something like this, we will increase ammunition counts, we will increase things like, um, sorry, just basically anything that we need to do adjust for this increased duration of constant uh, damage output, but for longer periods of time. So it's something I'd like to uh, get some feedback out from the community. Take that Russ.
0: <laughs> well you know it's definitely a, a topic out there with you know obviously the quirks just came out and a lot of people were saying well you know the time to kill is going to go down because some of these quirks are extreme and you, you know you have level tier 5 through obviously 1 then 1's not getting anything but um, you know it, it'll be interesting seeing the, the the changes you know what are quirks going to do to the actual gameplay from you know in a week two weeks three weeks from now um, but it, it almost feels like the quirks touched on some of the offensive capabilities and a few of the mechs got defensive and, um, you know, general armor or internal structure buffs. But, um, I think it'd be interesting, you know, phase two, apparently, you know, with movement quirks or movement system, or what about, uh, you know, other stuff like sensors or whatever, it, what are, what's that going to change? And I'm assuming you know, what you're talking about would sort of apply to, that, which is the mechs and how they're put together and why. But one of the things is, you know, in the novels we always talk, you know, we always read about mechs being different and they're they're manufactured by different, you know, um, companies and some quality are, you know, some have better qualities, you know. And, and just sort of, to me, it makes sense that um, bringing in the whole, I don't know, crit-seeking, crit critical hits, you know, the whole you don't really get that 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 your mech's falling you know dying around you per se like that 2009 trailer you guys did you know with the the warhammer dying you know and and going obviously it went stackpole, but i guess my point being is i don't think anybody would have a problem with that sort of sense of your mech dying around you i guess you know piece by piece yeah
2: and you know there's someone here in the office You all love him, Alex Iglesias. He's always coming over to me, reiterating the same statements over and over again, is that um, the whole feeling of your mech coming apart isn't really there yet, and one of the things that kind of disappeared, I don't know why, I'm even trying to figure out when it happened, was, for example, when the ammunition used to cook off in your mech, right, there used to be that hanging sound the whole mech would start shaking and it was like wow my internals are getting blown to the living hell and that's not there anymore so i'm pretty sure it has to do with some sort of the bandwidth limitations we had at the time but it's something that we can reinvestigate it's something that i think would actually benefit um the fact of like buffing internals for, for example like what i was mentioning it would also help that notion of like bang you just lost your arm armor, right? Now you have time to actually react before it's actually just literally ripped off your body like it is currently. With a stronger internal structure, you'd be able to say, okay, now I have to consciously keep this arm out of line of sight from that uh, enemy mech. And it would increase, like, longevity. It will increase the notion of um, torso turning and just basically keeping out of line of fire uh, anything that's uh, open and critical, right? So,
0: well, I think from the immersion factor, Paul, and I know this is polish, right? But you know, um, maybe it doesn't have any gameplay, but you know, ejection sequence. I think you know that two thousand nine trailer when you guys did that was flipping. Am- I mean, it blew my mind because I was thinking, "Holy crap!" Like, like that's flipping awesome. That, that that's what I want. And you know, we we obviously we don't have that in MW right now. You don't have the smoke and, you know, ejecting, ejecting, you know, sort of going on and um I, I just feel like it's it's close. It could get there, but the game does move pretty quick. You don't have that, you know, um that death, you know, throws, if you will, you know, of a mech going down and that uh you know, I feel like that could definitely be the immersion factor it can be cranked up there. But it wouldn't take a whole lot, I guess, you know, and most of it I well, guess would be client side, right?
2: Well here's the thing exactly, is that that 2009 trailer was targeted towards console development. Like, that's what that game was going to be about. Uh, yes, it would have a PC version, but at the same time, it was meant to say, you know what? We want to make a single player co op game uh, that would allow this kind of fidelity, this kind of just immersion into the game. Now, when you move to multiplayer across, like, networking issues alone right will make a lot of that immersion impossible to do because you have to replicate it across the network yes you can pull some of that stuff off through the client but when it comes to collision when it comes to anything that would affect the game space that has to be replicated across the network and that's just stupid amounts of traffic depending on what kind of uh destruction you have going on in the environment right now, if you remember in that video, when a, ch- a chunk of that building got blown off, and you can see inside there's an office in there and there's all this kind of, I don't know, office furniture and a bunch <laughs> of junk all in there. And it's very, very impressive. And that is something that you can pull off in a single player campaign. Like that's something that you can pull off when you don't have to worry about sending all of this traffic across the network and have it ping back and forth between you, the server, your friend, back to the server, back to you and back and forth, right?
0: Well, it's good to hear that, uh, how you feel about, you know, the, the time to kill and that sort of immersion factor. Because I think a, a lot of us, myself included, I w- I'm excited for Community Warfare. I think it's going to be the heart of, you know, the game. And I think you need it. I think you need it for a community. I think you need it to to pull all those, you know, community leagues and players that that's what they're trying but it's to put it as a, you know in the game in an easy access way to be able to do community warfare in the grand scheme of things. But me personally, I am so looking forward to one maps looking better, right functioning better, you know getting those touches that you were talking about mechs that sort of immersion factor being cranked up there, and you know I guess that's what I'm looking forward to the, the little things, is, it, yeah the polish that yeah I know that you guys want to do. But sometimes these big features and obviously Community Warfare has been, you know, basically on the radar since, you know, three years ago, two years ago, whenever. And so, you know, I'm glad it's almost here. And obviously we're going to see more iterations. It's not like you guys are just going to kick it out there and say, "Okay, yep, there it is. No more changes. Right. It's going to be evolving, I'm assuming. Uh,
2: Paul? No, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that, right, that it's been three years and it's not quite been three years. Because I just pulled up yesterday, a November 25th build from 2011 of our game. It had two mechs in it, which was the Hunchback and the Jenner. There was no UI for it. Or sorry, there was no front end, so no mech bay. Um, and it was on Frozen City, and that was it. And Frozen <laughs> City had just a bunch of gray boxes for um, gray boxes for buildings. And the only weapon that you could fire was an AC-10, which kind of looks like you're spitting out a SRM. And uh, the fact that if you want to back up, yes, you could back up. You would move backwards, but your feet animations would be walking forward. So basically you're moonwalking backwards, right? So we've come a long ways since <laughs> that time. And we went live much later after that. But yeah, it was kind of interesting. I showed it to some of the people around the studio, and they're just like, wow,
1: <laughs> that's, that's pretty impressive. You've come a long way, baby. But take uh, one more question. Paul, we have kept you for a long time. We totally appreciate it. Thank you for taking time out. Sorry to everybody that wants Community Warfare faster. Uh, we've made it an hour and a half slower. One real quick follow-up question, though, regarding Community Warfare and Invasion Mode, um, which is, you know, with the uh, Intersphere mech quirks that just came out, I've heard people complaining about ammo because they're shooting faster and they're running out of ammo quicker. Um in invasion mode, are laser energy based weapons gonna be a huge advantage to uh mechs with you know, that are ammunition based? Is there gonna be any kind of rearm option? Uh, have you guys thought about that yet? Uh
2: that's something that's still in discussion. Like this is actually a hot topic between Russ, myself, uh some of the other dev team as well. Is that Personally, I look at it this way, I don't want to see band-aids on the field where you just step on. and oh look I'm better. Mario, but at the same yeah. time, um, we do have to take into account that you're going to be burning through a lot more ammo over a longer period of time and the longer you play for. As in, the better you are, the less chance of you getting blown up, the more ammunition you're going to burn through during, during a match on a single given mech. So we're going to have to have come up with some way of rearming that
1: mech. Excellent, thank you. Good to know.
0: All right, Paul, and just like to say thank you. It's been a while since we've sat down to talk with you, and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to do this a little bit more often now that uh, you know. I guess your your work is never done. I understand that, but maybe we can snatch you and and uh, do these type of things, and possibly even next time uh, we'll do a thread and ping for community questions and just read them off and let you uh, uh, answer them directly. But I just no want promises. to thank you. Yeah, thank you for your time. Appreciate the honest answers. Thank you, Paul. And, uh, you know, uh, I'd like to say, uh, you know, again, uh, I think it means a lot uh, for you to be open and, uh, you know, communicative with the community. I think a lot of people enjoy just the straight answers. And I think a lot of people are going to be excited about what you've been working on and some of the stuff. Community Hell water. yeah. I've, me and Darren, obviously, we know. But uh, <laughs> we are. We, if we, I'm giddy like a school girl. <laughs> it's awesome. It's great. You guys are going to love it. Uh, But anyways, guys, I'd like to say a big thank you to our community, our listeners, new and old, and our amazing staff. And, of course, our sponsors. You guys are awesome. And uh, I just want to say thank you again for uh, helping grow NGNG. And uh, it's been an amazing journey. Again, three years. uh, We just did our three-year mark. It's crazy. uh, uh, Wow. This was your local No Guts, No Galaxy Warrior podcast. Signing off for tonight, this is Phil. And this is Darren. This is Paul. Until next time, Warriors.